can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'll use my indoor voice, I think. <laughs> wow. Matthew chapter 5. You can lower it a decibel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Well, maybe. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 38 through 42. I'm going to tell you how to get even with people that hurt you. Wait, retaliation. That's good. Let's read verses 38 through 42. We are dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. These are not actions necessarily for us as a church to take, but there are implications for us on how we should behave today, obviously. So we're going to look at that as we uh, read through this and study through this portion of Scripture. First of all, verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So we're going to study this portion of Scripture. Let's pray, and as we begin class, that we can understand exactly what was being said here, because I don't want any of you to walk around toothless and eyeless. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time as we uh, explore what Scripture has to say and, and what, it's, what it's driving at here as Jesus teaches his disciples an understanding of a, of a right and true correct and a correct righteousness. Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Again, what we're dealing with is... Uh, is a part of the law that deals with personal injury. And many of you may be on watching TV and see all the commercials run for personal injury lawyers. Uh, it seems to be a, a really good career if you want to get into it. Uh, I think there was one point they were called ambulance chasers. I don't know if they're still called that. It's derogatory as far as I'm concerned, so I don't call lawyers ambulance chasers. Maybe shysters, but not <laughs> Just I'm just messing with you. But um, it, for Israel to have a nation, they had to have certain laws that God gave them, which is fascinating because this goes back to the time of the giving of various laws, not the Ten Commandments, but all the laws. And part of that was how that nation would run itself. And, and what, what we look at is the law that states here in verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is where it's taken from. I think I introduced this last week as we closed. These are the three places this is taken from in the Old Testament. We are going to study directly the Exodus passage. So bear with me as we, as we do that because I want you to understand what it meant in context. So what we dealt with a little bit last week is what they had heard, uh, what they had heard from the Pharisees. And I want you to understand something. The Pharisees were responsible for teaching God's Word and to be an example of God's righteousness. You with me so far? I think this is important. However, they didn't purposely, that I can see a real purpose behind it, teach the Bible wrong. They only taught what they wanted to teach and said it how they wanted to say it. So I believe, uh, as I've looked through this and studied this, they taught the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but they didn't teach the whole passage. 
So we're going to look at the whole passage to get an understanding of what was going on, because uh, I think it's a necessity that we do so. If you want to, where we're going to be this morning is not here in this Matthew passage. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 21. So turn with me to Exodus 21, and we're going to see what this passage has to say and get some uh, a good understanding of what's going on in this passage. Uh, so they were now the other thing the, the Pharisees were looking at was they were looking for a kingdom to rain down on the Romans in vengeance. They wanted God's kingdom to come with His Messiah, but that kingdom involved removing and destroying of Rome. Uh, again. That's not what they were getting in Christ in his first advent. He actually said in one place, I render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. And that's not good news for them, because they didn't want to be under Caesar's rule. And Je But Jesus was promoting or prompting a righteousness unlike that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had an external righteousness, and we'll see in chapter 6, it will be there in two weeks, of the righteousness that they had. And one of the things they used to love to do is pray in public. Why? Because everybody would know how pompous they were, how outwardly righteous they were, and how uh, close they seemed to God. But the more they opened the mouth, you could probably see the further they, be, they went from God. But we're going to look at Exodus. This is the Exodus passage. I did it in this font to do an eye test this morning. So I would fail this. I just put it all in one thing because those that get these slide presentations can have it. But we're going to read the we're going to read the whole passage and then we're going to go back and look through it. So we're going to start in verse 12, Exodus 21. And if you're familiar with Exodus, Exodus is the giving of the law. Most people think of the Ten Commandments or Ten Suggestions as the entire law. That isn't even the surface of it. That's basically the meat of it. And then it's expounded on in Exodus. Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But verse 12 says this, He who strikes a man so that he dies will surely be put to death. But if he, but if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. And if a man have a quarrel with one and strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but remains in bed, if he gets up and walks around outside of his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. He shall only pay for loss of time and shall take care of him until he is completely healed. Sounds pretty good, right? Not in the government dole. Sorry. And if a man strikes his female or a male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. If, however, he survives a day or two, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. And if a man struggle with each other and shall strike a woman with child so that she is miscarriage, uh, yet there is no further injury, he shall surely be fined as the hu woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there's any further injury, then he shall appoint as a penalty as life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, 
uh, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And if a man sin goes on, I'm just going to stop at 25 because this is what we're going to get to. And the, you'll get the gist of it as we get to it this morning. Now, I'm going to give you some facts, and prayerfully I still have them within my notebook. Um, first of all, verse 12 deals with premeditated murder. And we're going to deal with uh, the three parts of what we would call homicide. Yeah, intentional and in, in, intentional and unintentional homicide. Uh, or we would start with the first one, premeditated murder. That's what it deals with in verse 12. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say this. A society that honors God uses the death penalty. I know that's going to sound really harsh in the paradigm we're in today, and we're getting ready for uh, soon for voting for president. Uh, the death penalty uh, is a form of capital punishment that God so desires for society. Uh, as of the last survey I've taken, 30 states have it, 20 don't. As a matter of fact, some use lethal inject- injections, some use electrocution. Uh, Utah still has a law that they will have a firing squad. Washington State uses injection unless the prisoner re- requests a hanging. So, I mean, these are still on the books, um, but the question is, are they, are they carried out? And sometimes they are not. Um, so, if you want to, I got it exactly from this website. Uh, lethal injection uh, is the main means of per, uh, putting someone to death in, 20, in 30 states. Uh, but 16 states also have secondary methods. I just, I just think it's interesting some of these secondary methods that are used. Um, the number one state for putting people to death, I think of last count, was Florida. So uh, I don't know because they have more people in, in that situation, but it is a, a main thing that's doing. Uh, so the first thing is premeditated murder. And what we have here as we look at verse 12, it is to be carried out. Um, now, let, let's talk about Israel for a minute. Israel was given these laws by God. It wasn't like they had a board sit down uh, in the Knesset and they decided through the Sanhedrin, the body and Pharisees, and so on and so forth, these were good ideas to come up with. God said, this is what you are to do as a nation. And what is, what's the main mandate he told to his nation? Go back a page to chapter 19, verse 6. And I think this is interesting because... This is how far short we will fall as a nation. Everybody says we live in a Christian nation, a Judeo-Christian nation, that we're, we, uh, we were formed by people that love God and wanted to do what God wanted. But, however, even if we do say that, verse 6 says this, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Israel is to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We are neither one of those. But here's the guys that I want you to understand. They were to be holy as God was holy. And one of the things he says, here's my laws, obey them. And if this happens in your society, deal with it. Now, I'm going to say something. Verse 12 does not say, if you carry out capital punishment, murder will stop. It does not say that, because some people will say, you know, if we carried out God's laws and did such and such, these things wouldn't happen in society. No! The person that's put to death would not do it again. And you'd be doing what God said to do. And you wouldn't have jails filled. The last check, I think, and I was looking as I was talking, and I don't know the exact amount, but I think there's about almost 3,000 people still on death row. That's a lot of people to feed. 
that should have been put to death. And somebody will inevitably say, what if we got it wrong? I don't know. But we're doing it wrong right now as a nation. But we're not Israel. Okay, so I want to make sure we, we understand that. So this wasn't saying for all nations to carry this out, but it would be a good li- guideline because we want to be as godly as we can possibly be. So I, when I vote, I look at a guy and how do you feel about the death sentence? He says, no, everybody should, nobody should ever die. We should keep them housed and it should be uh, excuses like uh, via insanity. That person can now live in jail forever, have three meals a day, TV, and a place to work out. I don't think that's right. I believe that you should carry out the death sentence. Um, as easy as that. Uh, verse 13 is part two of that. Verse 13 says, but if he did not lie in wait, in other words, it wasn't premeditated murder, uh, and he ends up killing a guy because something happens, uh, and if that, and it was not premeditated, but it was accidental or unintentional, uh, without intent or planning, then a person should move away from that area and live somewhere else. And God will give that place, and we they're called cities of refuge for these people to go to. Uh, and and if he made it there, and if he made it there, listen to me, and if he made it there before the family killed him, <laughs> he would be safe. It's kind of, remember the game we used to play as kids? This is home base, and you run, you can get there, you're safe. But if, you, if you're if you in the uh, area, you're, you're, you're a victim of what's going to happen, and usually it's capture to what? Capture the flag kind of thing, right? Anybody ever play that? If you haven't, look it up, because I just talked way over what we're talking about. But this is kind of that form of that. Part 3 is in verse 14. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, uh, you get that picture. You are to take him even from my altar that he may die. Um, and again, uh, this would include murder to look like an accident. Uh, I think we had one here in, in Tulsa a few weeks, uh, what, last week. Uh, a family of mother and father were killed by their son and he wanted to stage it like an accident. Well, that comes under this. Uh, a poisoning, hiring a hitman to, to do the, the, all these are uh, included in that. Uh, uh, just kind of think of this um, God, as we look at this and see what's happening in society can we see God's word being followed or not followed just in these three verses we can pretty much see it's not being followed uh, uh, but I, I think it's interesting God puts a note here and it can be taken two different ways he, he may be taken even from my altar what does that mean now you could say uh, a little sarcastically or tongue-in-cheek. See, priests are murderers too. And that could be a possibility. That, that if he did something and used his office to do something, uh, such as murder somebody, rip him from the office. Take him uh, forcefully from that and remove him from his duty so he can die. He can't hold on to the altar and say, uh, I found a place to get away from this. you know, And use his uh, place of office as a high priest or a priest, and say, I get God's grace because that's who I am and I'm allowed to do those things. And, and, you, and let your mind go with that however you want to see fit. That is not an excuse. Okay? But I don't believe that means that. I, I, I think there's even more to that, to, uh, than that than being said there. I think one of the things is, when you go to the altar in this time frame, you're going for, for, to that place to gain God's forgiveness. So you're going to bring a sacrifice. And what is the sacrifice for murder? Anybody know? There isn't one. Look, David even knew that. 
Because when he uh, set up Uriah the Hittite to be killed, he and did some things that he says, I know there's no sacrifice for the things I've done. You know, and David asked God for forgiveness. But basically, uh, I believe this: if someone has an office, whether uh, if if he's clerical, let's go with the clerical side, he should be removed from office. He should be sent to jail, judged, and executed. That's as easy as that. Uh, and I I have a, an extreme passion, I guess is the best way to put it. If a guy is a pastor or has a place as a, in a, clerics, uh, as a clergy um, and he uses that office to commit a crime, I think it's the most hideous abuse of power that can ever be seen. And it should be never be tolerated. Whether it's in a Christian arena and someone does something and says we forgive him, I think it's still horrific and he should never be back in office. If he used his power over people, uh, we know that uh, it's it's a crime, and and some of those people today are allowed to walk around as free criminals because the church has forgiven them and they're still in office. And I just I have issues with that. That's my personal opinion. Uh, but as I see this, God wants us to be holy as He is holy. How would He feel if someone used their power to gain uh, a position over somebody, whether murder? or kidnapping, or any kind of a crime. Uh, and, to, and to be a clergy and abuse people in the name of God, I can't think of anything more hideous. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a little bit of me coming out. Uh, and I, I will say this, I fully question that person's relationship with God at that point. That's just it. I mean, uh, I can't be in a person's mind. Someone will uh, come up to me and say, are you judging if that person's saved or not? I am not judging. I'm using some discernment and saying, I got issues. Do you understand what I'm saying? Secondly, though, when we talk about this uh, issue and going to the altar and asking God for forgiveness of something you purposely did and you use some kind of power to do it, uh, God says, no, that's not the place for that. And take him... Because he can't have a place that we would call what? Home base, in this case. And you can put him to death. And I, I think that's interesting. Because um, so many people said, I'm good because I've asked God for forgiveness. No, you're not. You've got to pay for the crime. And this is what this section is dealing with. It's dealing with personal injuries and paying uh, a, a correct restitution for those crimes that are done. So that's crime number one. Crime number two here is verse 15. And it says, He who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Now, I want you to understand something. This word strikes isn't like a kid, you know, rebellious teen just lashing out mom and dad and saying, I hate you. I wish you would die. Uh, I think one of my kids once said that to me and I said, good. I'm right at the place I should be. They know that I have ability to also take them out at some point. Um, but I want you to understand this, this idea here of strike down is to slay, to beat to death. So this, per, this child has got to the point where he is striking with a purpose to kill his parents. So this still comes under the idea of killing. Uh, and if you don't believe me, uh, that's what happened this week. The guy struck down his parents. I don't know what the whole story is. The last I heard, it was over some money issue. And I said, well, there's got to be more than that because... If I gave my kids money and they wanted to kill me over it, I said, forgiveness, you're granted, don't, don't worry about payback, we're good. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> uh, uh, or just stay away from giving them anything and let them deal with it. Um, 
But I, I want you to know that this part has to deal with human life. And human life in the Bible is God giving life, and God is the control over life and death. And if you've taken a life or, or, or want to commit that kind of a hideous crime, you've got to understand you're playing God. And God, God gets very irritated with that. He's, he, you can't do that. And I want you to understand how, how God feels about human life. And that would raise up another issue because the abortion issue will inevitably come out in November's ballot and abortion is also taking of life. I don't care how anybody wants to put it, you know. Uh, so we need to stop this. And that's it, you know, and, and be on the side of God. God gives life, God takes life, and that is a human life. When life started is not a question. It's not. You, do you realize that when life started is not a question, Right. Because if you're alive, and your spouse is alive, and you make a baby, that's life. Do you understand that? Because life begets life. Period. Period. That's a whole different subject. Verse 16 talks about kidnapping. And he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. How do you like that one? Kidnapping is considered a high crime. Kidnapping is an offense. I find it interesting because a group from Boko Haram kidnapped 276 girls in April of 2014 and claimed Allah told them to do so. Now think about it for a minute because a lot of people say to the Islamic people, Allah is equivalent to our God. You hear me? How can he be equivalent when our God says, don't ever do that? Human life is precious. So one cannot kidnap another one for any reason. That's the death penalty. This is an assault not only on human life, but human freedoms at its very base. I would also put human trafficking under the same law. Find them, execute them. I know this sounds really harsh. Oh, but isn't that murder? Absolutely not. It's not murder to carry out capital punishment. It is not. You're doing what God has asked you to do. God is carrying it out. How should we do it? What's the most humane way to do it? Is that really a question that should be answered? Does humane have to be, you know, what is humane when you're carrying out capital punishment? Now, God is allotted for certain things. In the time that this was being carried out, stoning was the way to carry it out. Does anybody know what stoning is? It's inhumane. What happens is someone's put down in a, in a lower pit, and you take the biggest rock you can find, and, you, and, and it's surrounded, you take the biggest rock you can find, you throw those first. So you don't go from pebble to boulder, you go from boulder to pebble. Do you understand what I'm saying? So big rocks come, little rocks come. Before you know it, that person's buried alive. I don't know if that's humane. But the idea isn't humane. The idea is to carry out God's will. I don't think any state has stoning, though. So um, I think we're pretty good with that. Um, verse 17 has to do uh, with he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. It seems like it comes under the same idea of kidnapping. Uh, 
But this is a different idea. And when you talk about curse, um, it's in the PL stem. It's resultant. It's causative. In other words, uh, it's great hatred to mother and father. It's not just. It's not just saying I hate you, dad. Hate you, mom. It's much more than that. It's 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 a it's a hatred that is greatly expressed, which we have seen in previous verses in Matthew that leads to murder. This is the causation of ver- of the verse that's before this, uh, in verse 15. This is what causes it. So you want to nip it in the bud before it advances to death. Um, and Matthew says, if this this is an anger that leads to murder, we can. Uh, uh, deal with this. Now, how do, you, how do you know if it is? How do you know if it is? Well, further laws will tell you you take that child before the tribunal and you basically interview him. And you could find out uh, people were very good in discerning where children were going and, and what their uh, continual pattern was. So that deals with, with, that's law number four that deals with the cursing of mother or father that leads to death. Then verse five, I mean, law number 5, verses 18 through 21, deals with fights and quarrels. What happens in a bar fight? Now, I don't know. I'm looking around the room. I said, none of you have ever been in a bar fight. Um, but, I mean, if you've been in some kind of quarrel, uh, verse 18 says, that If a man has a quarrel with one and strikes the other with a stone or a fist, and he does not die but remains in bed, and if he walks, uh, gets up and walks around outside on his staff, then he who struck him shall go unpunished. Sounds pretty good to me. Um, but what happens in a bar, bar fight? Basically, someone is hurt in a fight and does not die. The responsible party is required to pay recompense to the injured party until he recovers from his injuries. It's, that's kind of simplistic. You've, you've, you're responsible for what happened. Deal with it. To carry it. Carry the burden. Pay the restitution that needs to be done. Make sure... It's to the point when he's ready to go back to his normal state of life. Um, but if it goes further than that and he, and he carries, carries it to the point of death, that then he's responsible and guilty for murder. Verse 20 says, And if a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod and he dies at his hand, he shall be punished. If, however, he survives a day or two, uh, no vengeance shall be taken, for he is his property. Now, again, in the, in the context of what we're dealing with, I'm not going to talk about his slavery right or wrong. But I want you to understand this. In the customs of the time, it was normal. And it wasn't slavery like we think of slavery. Um, I had a, a fun argument with a friend of mine, a, a really great guy that we, we were friends for years and did things, uh, some interesting things together. Uh, he was black and I was Jewish. We never changed. <laughs> And, and our conversation would go, you, he would say to me, you don't realize how much slavery my people went through. I go, really? I can one-up you. Where were you when I was in Egypt? So Israel and the Jewish people have had a long line of slavery in a bad fashion and in a normal fashion. That was considered employment to some people. So I want you to understand that. But you were not supposed to treat it, treat them inhumanely, even though he's considered property. And please don't take that in a negative sense, because the Bible will also call a, a spouse property. And you don't, you should never treat him in that, like we'd think of a normal property situation. But that just shows there's an ownership and a care and a concern that's being involved, and you shouldn't mistreat anybody at any point. But I want us to understand that in this, uh, 
the liability lies in what was happening and the response and the resultant of what happened. Okay? So law six, verse twenty-two, deals with personal injury laws done after uh, a careful legal investigation. So there's investigation that's going on. And it's rules to, to be, listen, rules to be applied in various situations and reparations that were to be made. I think that's interesting because I don't think we have a real good paradigm set up that if somebody does something egregious that they actually have to pay for it. Um, I remember back in 92, uh, we had a hurricane in South Florida called Andrew. He was not a dear friend. And even though I'm doing a wedding of a kid named Andrew next month, uh, who's kind of named because of the hurricane, uh, I'm not blaming him for anything. Um, but during that time, there was a lot of contractors who stole a lot of money. They were never required to pay it back. They were basically got off because there was a, enough of an act that was done in South Florida that they basically got away with legal extortion. And you say, well, wow, they should have at least been held to pay it back. And I say, that would be nice on my behalf, but that didn't happen. But according to, to, to God's laws, reparations have to be made. And in verse 21, I mean 22, it says, uh, and if a man struggle with each other, men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child. So I don't know what's going on. You get a picture that two men are struggling with each other and a, and a woman gets involved somehow and she's with child so that she has a miscarriage yet there's no further injury. He shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. Wow, that's interesting. And he shall pay as the judge decides. So what happens is, a man says, you owe me this much because that's what that life is to me. Um, I don't know how to adjudicate that, but the judge, it would go before a judge, and a judge would say, damages are proper, pay them. Now, someone will say, well, isn't this the same as abortion? No, it's not. Okay, It's accidental. It wasn't meant purposely to lose that child. It happens, okay? But, the, but there's a restitution. And I don't know what the scale was, but I'm sure the judges of that time had a, a fee scale for what was proper and correct in that case. Um, but as anything happens, there's, a, there's also a case within a case. Verse 23 says, But if there's any further injury, then you shall appoint to him a penalty life for life. So if there's further damages, this goes under further damages. So you have personal injury law that goes under further damages. And this is where eye and eye tooth tooth comes in. Let's let's kind of get this. This is known as in Rome as lex talionis. Anybody ever heard of lex talionis? Basically, talion is tooth. So it's the law of the tooth. Okay? Uh, or life for life. And life for life, that it says here in verse 23, is the death penalty. So you have the death penalty. Now the problem is, that follows with hand, tooth, uh, let's see, eye, hand, tooth, foot, burn, wound, and bruise. Now if we carried out those to the literalness, there'd be a lot of people beat up, handless, toothless, footless, uh, eyeless, and all beaten up. Because some people are just what? Do the minor crimes, and it's all they they do, and they need to be uh, dealt out with. Uh, why is this suffering for suffering? Is it and is it to be taken literally, or is the judgment to equal the crime? See, does the punishment? We got to ask ourselves: Does the punishment fit the crime, or is judgment equal to the crime? 
this is what the Pharisees and scribes had promoted, the exacting of the law. And all they pulled out was seeking, they were not seeking due process of the crime, they were seeking knock his teeth out, knock his eye out. They were using it in the sense of revenge, not carrying out the law. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I think this is important for us to grasp. They weren't dealing with it as much as God wanted them to carry out the prescription of a legal reparation to be made in the correct manner. Now obviously, if you get in some scuffle and you lose a tooth, that tooth is going to cost you money to replace, right? I don't know what most teeth cost to replace today. I was talking to my mom about dental work, and I said, I'd just rather have them all pulled than fake ones put in, because to get a tooth replaced today is crazy. It's a tooth. And I know it's, by the time you get the stud put in, and the, whatever you got to do, and then put the tooth in, and make the tooth, and, and pay the dentist, you should have bought him a car instead. Okay? Uh, I know implants are about ten grand, probably. And I said, well, that's pretty good. You lose a tooth, give them ten grand. Have the tooth. You understand? If, you lose, if, if something happens and you cause a guy to lose an eye, pay him for it. And I know there's industrial accidents that happen today and they take the business to court, uh, to, to the court of law and they sue them and they want what? They want cost of replacement and what? And what damages. And they're looking for what? 50 grand for the cost of replacement and 150 million grand thousands good beings just for the damages punitive damages right i want that big number like like you know and i'm not being flipping about it because i think it's horrible it's a horrible habit to stop it's even worse to uh, to start but if you smoke nobody made you smoke you know what the gods you know what Smoking does, right? I mean, we all know that. But now they want to turn around and sue the tobacco companies because they made them smoke. What? What? No. You had a choice. My choice, my choice, I never touched the stuff because I'd rather suck in a bus, bus muffler before I'd even think of taking a cigarette. Because what are you doing that for? That's my personal thing. But I'm not going to turn around and sue somebody because that's, that's where lawsuits go crazy and that's, again, personal opinion. But biblically, you have a right for justice if somebody caused an injury to get due reparation for the injury. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? Obviously, if you're an offender bender and you know, you know, some guy hits you, you should get reparations for it. Right? And, and get the, what, the car fixed and you walk around with a, a thing in your neck and you all of a sudden you're limping and all this stuff and what are you looking for? I, I, I got problems with that, but get damages fixed. Now, somebody will come up to me and say, well, I was slammed into, and you don't know what... Yeah, you get damages, you understand. But I was in a court of law, no lie. A lady was stopped at a stop sign. The girl hit her from behind, rolling at five miles an hour. Less than five. I mean, she rolled into her, bam. Caused, and they gave a list, $1,800 worth of damage. Well, you could do that with a, a fly could hit your car today uh, and cause that much damage. But 1800 it was paid for. She was claiming she needed over a million dollars in restitution because her back was never the same. Five miles an hour? What were you doing in a car? I mean, I don't understand that. So, you know, thank God I was dismissed from that jury because I looked at the judge and go, yeah, yeah, I don't believe in frivolous lawsuits. He goes, what? Now, that's, this is under frivolous. You understand? 
But that's why we have courts to judge these things. So when we talk about an eye and eye, a hand for a tooth, the Pharisees had played it out that that was the way to carry it out. Be very vengeful in the carrying that out. Um, no, I, hold your finger here and go to First Timothy. I want to show you something. And, and the reason I'm going here is because I want you to see what the Pharisees did not understand. Because this is what Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with the correct interpretation of the law at that time, not the pharisaical understanding of how to interpret the law. And you can't piecemeal and take out what you want because it fits the situation. Do you understand? In 1 Timothy chapter 8, I'm one, first. If there's an 8, somebody's got a new Bible. Chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. Wow. But we know the law is good. Listen, Paul is saying to Timothy, pastor to pastor, we know the law is good. Yes or no? Absolutely. We know it's good because it's from who? And it what? And it could, notice what it says. If one uses it lawfully, because you can use it what? Unlawfully. And guess what the Pharisees were doing? Using it unlawfully. Are you with me? Real, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man. If you're a righteous man and living a righteous lifestyle, you don't need the law. Right? Thou shalt not murder. You're going to go out and murder? You have an intent to go kill somebody? You have an intent to steal? You have an intent, and we can go down the litany of things and you would say, No, I don't want to because that's not doing the godly thing. But for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, what? Didn't we just read that? It's like Timothy's peeking peeking in on our lesson this morning, right? For murderers and immoral men and homosexuals, and guess what? And kidnappers and liars and perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. If you're not understanding what good, sound, Bible-healthy doctrine is, you're going to be like that. And the law, the law is the basis for sound Bible teaching. It gives you a paradigm of what God's like. God is holy. And He wants nothing from us other than to be like Him. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ as the church today, right? You think Christ would ever do any of these things? And I think that's important for us to see because the scribes and Pharisees must have stood up against evil continually, but not as representatives of righteousness. Pharisees had taken the low road. Um, One of the things we know is vengeance was to be left to, to God and the Pharisees and oftentimes were vengeance oriented. Even James and John, one time, they were called the sons of thunder. Anybody remember that? Because they knew what God could do. God could rain down fire and brimstone. I read it in my Bible. Did you read it in yours? And God could do that. And they said, hey, this would really be good. These people have rejected you. Jesus, rain down fire and brimstone. Bring all hell upon these people. Destroy them all. And Jesus basically said, whoa, guys, chill. Because vengeance is mine. God carried out that vengeance. God carried out the due process. 
When the flood came, it wasn't man's idea saying, hey, Lord, it'd be really good for you to wipe out everybody. And those that can stay in an ark, that'd be really good. God said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give 120 years for man to repent. So while Noah's in the shipbuilding business, giving out the gospel, that here's the only way to be saved in this boat, from the flood to come, the judgment, people were saying, eh. And what? My Bible says they were leading normal lives. They were eating and drinking. That's normal, right? You all eat and drink, right? If you say, no, I'm really holy, I don't eat or drink, your life expectancy isn't real good. They were marrying and giving in marriage. That's normal, right? They were doing normal things in life, but they weren't paying attention to godly things. They paid for it in judgment. But man didn't call that down. The trait the Pharisees lacked was they wanted revenge. They liked personal vengeance. They liked getting even, even one up. And Jesus presents to his disciples a higher ethical system. You with me? And he wants his his kingdom people to come into the kingdom knowing that there's an ethic within that kingdom that is way beyond what we would consider earthly normal. That, then that higher ethical system, ready for this, left the law perfectly intact. Is that a surprise to anybody? Now, we're not under the law because we're under grace. But there are penalties of the law we're dealing with. Penalty of the law says, if you sinned, you die. The disciples' battle was not against evil. They were asked to show the godly way. The disciples were to... Listen, you know who's in this group of disciples, don't you? Not only is John and James there, who got some issues, a guy named Simon the Zealot, who very, is very much undersold, is also a part of those people. You know what Zealots did? They carried little short knives in the back, their back area. Not in their back. <laughs> That'd be pretty difficult to use. Um... And they would go in crowds and they would kill people that needed to be assassinated. That's basic idea. They had no qualms about putting people, uh, basically uh, taking the law in their own hands. Okay? He's part of this group of guys. A guy named Matthew who's writing this book is in this, guy, in this group of people. And Matthew was what? A legal thief. He worked for the uh, IRS, the Israeli Revenue Service. Nobody gets that. <laughs> there you go. All one of you. Okay, um, but he worked for, and basically he was legally allowed to extort any amount of money he could. So he's very wealthy under that system, and basically he was considered a traitor by the Jews because he was siding with the Romans, and the Romans didn't trust him because he was still Jewish, and they didn't care. And Matthew is in that group. And then there's another guy who's the son of perdition. And Jesus is talking to these guys about a behavior that was internal. And one of them just didn't get it. One of them never got it. I think that's important for us to see. Um, So, as we see this, Jesus now presents to us, as we go back to Matthew chapter 5, so go back to Matthew chapter 5, we've got about five minutes, and we'll finish off in in this section. Now we've got an understanding of the law that was being presented. Um, What's the right response given? So Jesus gives four responses that are necessary to understand what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth are. The fullness of it. 
So you have to move yourself back and not just deal with that one little phrase. We have to go to the fullness of what's going on. Uh, and, and Jesus uh, once again presents a case-for-case case study. Jesus is doing case-by-case. Case. Now, I took a class in pre-law, and one of the things I loved about it was they did case-by-case case study. And I like that. Because what would you have done in this case? How would you have adjudicated certain things? What's going on? Now, I, I'm, I, I try not to be a legalist when it comes to the legal system, but certain things annoy me. So when things annoy me, and I know it's legally wrong, I say things. Now, I don't know if you know this, in Tulsa, there's a leash law for cats. I'm serious. If you don't have your cat on a leash, you're breaking the law. So I got a guy that lives in my neighborhood over here. He's put up 100 signs. He's lost the cat. The reward is $200. Not lying. Okay. $200, and I've been, everywhere I go, I look for the cat. Chris, I'm going to tell you something. There's got to be three or four cats that look like this. Uh, more or more. And he's not going to know, because his cat's been gone for a while, how old the cat is. Here's your cat. But I'm going to say to him, your cat wouldn't have got lost if you kept him on a... That's me thinking. So he broke the law, but he's willing to pay me reparations to find a cat. I'm not telling you all where he's at, because I'm on a hunt. Uh... Because I got some issues. Yeah, I got leashes. Believe me. Ropes still come in. Hog died. Here you go. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but when I think of these things and we deal with laws, we've got to be exact how God meant them, not how we want them. You understand what I'm saying? And here's what Jesus says in verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. Now, that's interesting. You're not to stand against or oppose evil. Are we never to do this? See, if we applied it to us now, I'd have some issues with that. Because we're told in many places to resist evil. Jesus did it. Jesus, at least two times, went into the temple and threw out the money changers. So he broke the law. No, he remained within the law because what they were doing was breaking the law. And he was using that paradigm. But... Uh, you understand what's going on? Listen, Paul, Paul called down Peter. So Paul had issues with the first pope. And he had to put him in his place. Now that's joking for those that are on TV. I don't mean he's the pope. He's never been the pope. But there's issues in Galatians chapter 2. It tells him that he had to resist him. Listen, we are to resist the devil so he flees from us. We are to, and that's evil, right? He's the evil one. And people often need to be dealt with that are evil. It's as simple as that. So it goes on, it says, um, there are certain ones that will come up and some may slap you on the face. Now, verse 39 says, slap you on the face. It's not one of these, it's one of these, a backhand. And a backhand, and usually if you're uh, right-handed, you'll slap someone, let's see, on the, on the left side, which is an insult. Okay? You were being insult. You were insulting him, and uh, and this and this is about wrong response to something that. And we talked about it in first class. This is a wrong response to something that someone insulted you, and you're going to automatically pop them upside the head, or somebody pops you upside the head in re, in retaliation. Don't retaliate. 
Turn the other cheek. In other words, don't retaliate. Because my first thing, somebody slaps you in the face, you know what I want to do? I want to punch him. Right? I know. I don't want to. But God, God's saying to righteous way to deal with turn the other cheek. He's not saying turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek, turn the right. So when your personal dignity is challenged, your first reaction should be turn the other cheek, allow God to deal with the vengeance. That's what that's what's being dealt with here. Case number two. How about the shirt and the coat? Shirt and the coat. Now I don't know if any of you have ever had this situation. Uh, but I want you to understand, uh, it's very important, shirt and cloak were considered very important clothing in the Middle East. Very important. You could not survive at, at certain times of the year with, without both of them. Okay? Ooh, that was almost a faux pas. Uh, and the coat, above all, was very important, and most of you in Tulsa know carry a coat everywhere. Because in any moment it could get a little chilly. Uh, today we got a south wind blowing about 90 miles. It's blowing outside and it feels cold. And you would think a south wind, you know, you were getting, you know, some summer blowing in incident. But what most often happened though, the shirt and coat were used to pay a debt. Debts were paid in clothing. Uh, it's not about the Salvation Army or goodwill or something like that. You paid your debt in clothing. Uh, and a believer was to repay a debt. Uh, when he owed it. And I think sometimes people say, can I borrow money? And what they mean in their head is, can I have your money? Uh, because some people say, oh, I never borrowed money. I forgot I borrowed money. And you got to walk around, okay, I don't mind you borrowing money, but I'm going to write this down. Uh, so when we look at verse uh, 40, it says, if anyone wants to, uh, verse 39b, I'm sorry, uh, no, 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your cloak also. So you're supposed to surrender your rights in a courtroom, uh, a reasonable courtroom, <laughs> understand what I'm saying, a reasonable courtroom, uh, and and do more than the law demands. I, I think that's interesting. Because if the law says, give him a coat, give him, you lost the case, you got to give him your coat, sure, give him your coat also. Uh, that's what God wants you to do. Uh, look, look at Acts 20 real quick. We had a, a couple seconds. Acts 20. I want you to see what Paul says. Acts 20, verse 35. For, uh, we'll start in ver- uh, we're in chapter 20, verse, let's start in verse 32. And I now commend you uh, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. So it's interesting, in the monetary system, clothes were up there. Uh, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to men who were with me and everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's the auspice in which Jesus is focused on here. He wants people to understand that just give. Just give it. If you're sued, give it. Give what's required of the law. Now, I don't. It doesn't say why this person's being sued, but we would think it's some basic law that was broken. It has to do with restitution. Uh, case number three, in verse uh, 41, back in Matthew chapter five, it said, "Whoever forced you to go a mile, go with him too." Now, I don't think any of you've been forced to go a mile or two. Okay. 
These were considered public couriers at that time, and they were stationed at various places by appointment of the king. And I find this fascinating, because foreign powers used slave labor to do the heavy work, to do the heavy lifting. Under Roman law, a soldier could command and demand, command and demand a citizen to carry his pack for a Roman mile. For a Roman mile, which is kind of a little less than our mile today, but I don't think anybody's measuring. Okay? And Jesus said the right thing to do is just go to. Go that extra mile. That's a great attitude, isn't it? I'll go the extra mile for you. You know who employed this? The Romans with a guy named Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross. How far did he go? All the way to Calvary. So it was employed at that time. So basically Jesus is saying, to, especially to his disciples, just go to two. Don't, it's not going to wear on you. You'll survive. And that put him in a place of what? Servitude. Last one he's going to deal with, and we'll deal with for this morning. Verse 42 says, Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Obviously, doing the right thing, doing the righteous thing, it doesn't mean that everybody asks of you something, just give it today. Because that would be absolute silliness, right? Because everybody should go up to Leonard afterwards and ask for something. How would, I, how would Leonard feel about that? Now that I just picked on him. And Leonard's going to say, here's my car keys, here's my house, here's... What? You know, that's not what is being said here. What is being said here is have the right mental attitude when people give uh, need something from you. Recognize the need. Why are they borrowing it from you? You know, obviously, get it back if they're borrowing something temporary. Um, Eric told me the best thing to do is take a picture of the guy that's getting something from you. So I'm going to loan a movie out for school so the school can have a movie on Monday. And I'm going to say, hold this up. And he's going to go and I'm going to take a Kodak of him. Because I'm going to forget that I gave this movie to this guy. Okay? But he, I don't have a problem him borrowing it. Borrowing it. Borrowing it. I was also taught something a long time ago by somebody. Uh, I thought it was wonderful. If you borrow something, please give it back in better condition than you got it. Do you think the Lord would not bless that? Borrow it. Give it back better than you got it. Don't give it back to Don't give me back my mower with no blade, no gas, and no oil. Put the gas in it. Make sure it's clean. Because guess what I'm going to do next time? I'm going to let you have it again. But here's what's happening. The translation basically said, to the one asking a favor, give. That's what it says. If you were to translate it clearly, it says, to the one who's asking a favor, give, and do not turn away anyone wishing to borrow from you. But do it with a clear head. You understand that? Listen, people come here often to this church and ask for money. And it's hard. Because you don't want to turn people away because people think, you love God, you'll love me with your cash. And the first thing I say, do you know what the sign says outside? Anybody knows what it says, right? It says Southwood Bible Church. It does not say Southwood Bank. So I, I go through the same thing a bank would do if you were asking for a loan. And people get offended. But I think if you're a borrower, you've got to give me reasons to lend you. If you just want, you want, that's a whole different issue. Remember that. Borrowing and, and just getting for nothing, different issues. 
And we have the ability to use some discernment when people are asking for things. But if they want to borrow something and it's it's there, I mean, neighbors got to be neighbors, right? You need a cup of sugar? Here, take the five pounds and bring me back what you haven't used. Right? To flip them out with things like that. You know? Um, but, but this is done with adjudication that's being intelligent. So when we look at this section about retaliation, here's what's being said. Do the godly, ju- righteous thing. Don't do as the Pharisees who have looked at the law as a way of retaliating and getting their vengeance. Don't do that. Don't carry that out. And when you do the right thing as us for implications, when we do the right thing, we're doing the godly thing. Right? And that's wonderful witness to people. And I'm going to say something in closing. Your stuff isn't your stuff anyway. It's somebody else's stuff because when you die, I'm going to get something. And when I die, you're going to get something. And we all die, somebody gets something. Somebody's going to be the getter. And I say you either you either store it up for someone else to get it or use it now. But the point is, it's not your stuff, it's God's. Don't hold on to it so tight that you hurt yourself spiritually. You understand? Let's, let's, we're going to stand and we're going to sing soon and very soon, which kid, continues our theme of songs this morning. Um, I, I, I say sooner and, and very sooner. Um, but that's what we're going to deal with. Um, ben, you're going to have to switch, or Stephen, someone's going to have to switch the screen over. Um, we're going to pray and, and lift this up to God and stop the recording, please. Father, we thank you for this time as we've looked into your word to gain insights into how you were responding to uh, the situation of your day and the people that were constantly not obeying the word for what the word said. We're making it uh, beyond what it was said, adding from it. Next week we'll see they even subtracted from it. And Father, we cannot use the word as, as a sword in the direct manner to stab somebody. We wanted to use it as a short sword to, to convict people. We want to use it as a sword to have Satan flee. We don't want to use it to, to be vindictive to be a vengeful, Father. We want you to carry that out. We want to be the kind of people that exude uh, a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.